The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Commercial Range, Pajero Executive, Pajero Commercial, Outlander Business and new L200. All with a leading five-year commercial warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie It's Thursday and this is George Hook with The Right Hook on News Talk. Here's a digest of some of the items we had on the programme today. Now, uh, more than 40% of the victims of crime were unhappy with how it was handled by the Gardaí. It's a new report conducted by an independent company and it surveyed 6,000 people. Now, I'm joined by John Mooney, journalist with the Sunday Times on the telephone. In the studio with me is our political editor, Shane Coleman. Shane, hello. Hi, George. John Mooney, if I can go to you, what's your reaction to this? The guards were surprised that uh, 40% of people were unhappy. Well, it's difficult to uh, as well as articulate uh, the position of the force in this. They went to, they went off and commissioned this report, which is a sizable piece of research uh, in 2015. I think they knew what the likely findings of it were, would be, um, and they decided to uh, publish that. Um, so I suppose they have to be commended for doing that. Uh, I've no doubt that Noreen O'Sullivan knew uh, the likely findings um, in advance of them uh, being submitted. So you, you would have to commend that and that they're at least being honest about this and rather than some report with some findings that every, everything is fine. Um, so it's good, I suppose, to see them moving away from okay. that. Uh, but on the other hand, the findings itself... Off the record, I think many senior police officers are, are surprised that it wasn't worse, um, but uh, many of them would, would kind of, I suppose, fully accept that there's massive problems now within the guards. Well, hold on now. Sorry, John. Um, John Mooney with the Sunday Times. 40%, they surveyed 6,000 people now. I mean, I don't know what the, the modus operandi was. Like, did every one of these 6,000 people, uh, were they part of it, were they involved in a in a, a criminal act that required the, the guards or did some of them say no like we didn't uh, we didn't see the guards at all Do we, were they surveyed were people only who had a relationship with the guardies surveyed no, I think it was a mixture of the community was interviewed I don't think they were specifically I'm open to correction on that uh, people that had been the victims of crime I think that they, like for example part of this survey uh, questioned people that in many cases had not reported crimes to the guards. Yes, twenty-six percent didn't report because they didn't believe that there was any point in doing so. All, all right, just hang on a minute. Shane Coleman is with me. First of all, Shane, have you interacted with the guardian in on, on anything? Uh, yeah, a little bit lately. Now I don't want you to actually give an opinion, funnily enough, but you can if you want to. But but like by and large, don't the guardian? As best they can, do a job for you, no? Individually, yes. And I have to say the encounters I've had in recent times have been good. But I think this, and I I, I guess John would agree with me on this, I think this report shows up. I suppose we kind of have two attitudes to the Gardaí. One is, individually, we like them, we trust them. We don't fear the Gardaí. I mean, there's lots of countries not a million miles away from here where innocent people, you know, are cautious in how they deal with the police. They are afraid. You could never say that about the Gardaí. 
But I think many of us fear that as a force, they have declined in how well they do their job over the last 20 years for a variety of factors. Okay, all right. Let's, before we get to variety of factors, John Mooney, if we were talking about radio stations, uh, supermarkets or or taxi services, if, as Shane has suggested, there's a major decline over a period of three or four decades, then clearly management is a fault. So therefore, uh, this is a management issue. You can't say that PC49 on the beach in Kappa, you can't blame him for the problems in the guards. Well, you can in some ways, and it's also a management problem. It's a whole uh, organisational problem, and it's an organisation that has been uh, allowed to drift into a position whereby um, it has, uh, in many respects, it's seriously dysfunctional. It has, uh, to a large degree, become an ineffective police force. Um, They're very good at certain things, and they're appalling at others. Well, what Um, are they appalling at? Because 40% of people are unhappy. Well, th- that is pretty appalling uh, figure. Um, well, to, one to, man's appa- one man's dissatisfaction is another man's satisfaction, of course. Be, not be when fair. your house has been robbed or someone's breaking in. Um, uh, th- that's a crime, and th- this isn't a, 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 a. It's not as clear and as simple as customer service. Um, the fact of the matter is, the police are there to uphold the law and they enforce the law. It has been a number of reports in the past two years, um, which by the Guard Inspectors and other organisations, and we can go through all the various commissions of inquiry um, that ha- have uh, published adverse findings against the guards. But they, some of the allegations range from uh, simple 9-9 calls not even being responded to, uh, issues of domestic violence not being responding to, um, so for example, uh, you know, no investigations into various other types of serious crime. But the guards are very good at is, is running sorry, murder investigations in some scenarios um, and uh, cases that are very, very uh, significant and, you know, require a certain uh, response from them. What, you, what they tend to be uh, very bad at is Joe Bloggs, who has a car stolen, the chances of getting that car back or any sort of adequate investigation into what happened tends to be very poor. Right. Oh, well, let's stop there. Like, I was burgled, Shane. Uh, right now the fingerprints they do all the fingerprints the fingerprints aren't on central register so they have no idea who the guy was he was clearly about 13 or 14 because he squeezed through a window i was i have to say i was a contributor to that burglary because i didn't have an alarm yeah so i put an alarm I, in i, I think but the, what were they that's John's a challenging point, one. i think that why are they supposed to difficult do? they are very difficult situations to deal with i i mean look i i think there are problems there i mean if you read the O'Higgins report for example which deals with with, you know one small area of the Gardaí we see sloppiness in how the small area well that part of the country we're talking about which dealt with that in in County Cavan we see extraordinary sloppiness among some Gardaí and how they do their job we've seen extraordinary indiscipline and then worst Worst of all, we have seen a culture of cover-up whereby nobody admits a mistake and nobody admits their colleague have made a mistake and they will do whatever it takes okay. to cover that up. But, but, yeah. where, where, my, where I think Gardaí, I, uh, where I struggle as a citizen, and this is me with my citizen's hat on rather than a, an expert like John, where I think the Gardaí struggle is effective day-to-day street policing. To give you an example... I walk home every day to the north north city centre uh, of, of Dublin from here, and routinely 
I see antisocial behaviour, I see people dealing drugs, I see people urinating in streets. What I never, almost never see is a Garda on patrol. Now, well, to me, that's a manager. How could be a Garda on patrol if the numbers have been reduced dramatically? That would add to direct... Had to direct well, why is it? I'm, I'm not. Know, I'm I, I, look, I am not convinced by this argument, and we hear it from the GRA the whole time, saying, you know, I mean, you almost get the impression they wouldn't be happy unless there was twenty thousand Gardaí. I keep asking the question: How did we manage to police the country in the 1970s when you had an armed terrorist group? that basically wanted to overthrow the state in the shape of the of the IRA. And yet the Guardi, with less numbers than they have now, were able to cope with that. To me, there is a chronic okay. management failure. There are too many Guardi in administrative roles. There are not enough Guardi okay. on the streets. So, uh, John, I mean, essentially the, the Guardi is like the HSE uh, for health. The Guardi is to justice what the HSE is to health. They're understaffed, they're badly managed, they're poorly motivated, and they get the job done some of the time. Is that it? Uh, to an extent, yes. But in fairness to the current commissioner, you would have to acknowledge that there are attempts being made to, I suppose, steer the ship in a different direction. Um, part of, I think, uh, um, the, the problems that face the police at the moment are so multifaceted and complex, it's almost impossible for her, her or anyone else, for that matter, to grapple with these issues in a five-year term. I think this is going to be a much longer project. So, so to quote Brian Cowan, uh, the Gardaí is like Angola. It could be. It, it is at the moment. There's a number of different issues that are very, very serious. Like, you know, if you look at the response to organised crime, it's clearly uh, not adequate, given what's happening in Dublin at the moment, what's going on since last February. If you look at their... Uh, the position that they place themselves in in terms of national security. Um, they don't have a, a, any proper systems to deal with that issue um, and are, are anyone who's familiar with the various problems within that sphere um, uh, would say that, that if the public were fully aware of what's going on there in the background, uh, they'd be absolutely horrified. Um, the problem in the, with Ireland tends to uh, come when, when we view uh, policing matters. We equate um, everything with more resources uh, for the police and okay. we also regret we, we tend to say um, more guards on the beat solves crime it doesn't it's it, what's really needed and in fairness to Nori and Sullivan I think she's trying to do something about this is a change of culture and about the way they go about policing Alright thank you so much that was John Mooney of the Sunday Times Shane Coleman staying with me um, you found some odd uh, oh by the way really tragic news we're just hearing that uh, Joe Cox, the Labour MP, who was shot and stabbed in Leeds uh, earlier today, has died. We'll be going to Leeds in a few moments for an update uh, on that. Uh, my initial reaction, Florida, Paris, Leeds, where's it all going to stop? Um, we're in crisis mode now in terms of... Uh, in, in, in terms of just innocent people about going their daily lives. Uh, Shane Coleman, though, you looked at that survey on the Guardian, you came up with some funny answers. Yeah, I mean, you know, if we're putting the Guardian under the microscope, and we are, 
uh, I, I think we kind of need to put ourselves under the microscope as well and our attitudes towards crime. I mean, interesting, this survey said the Gardaí, the people wanted the Gardaí to pri- uh, prioritise crimes against a person rather than property, focus on sexual offences, robberies and assaults, which is fair enough. But they also, people in this survey, considered public order, traffic offences and criminal damage to be low priority crimes. Now, I find that extraordinary. Uh, 2015... 30 people were murdered. No, I, I don't find it surprising. I really don't. I, I it's think illogical, though. No, it's logical. No argument. But we are now... We uh, You see, you know what I'm going to say next. <laughs> but, like, if you have now a society that essentially feels that, like, the rules aren't for anybody, then then naturally... Like, yeah. we're not a law-abiding nation. And, uh, it's worth pointing out to people... 30 people were murdered in 2015. Uh, 25 people were killed because of dangerous driving leading to death. So as many people died because of death. Now that's excluding all the people. I mean, 166 road deaths last year. So the idea of saying, you know, that that's really not important. That's just ludicrous, quite frankly. The other thing that, that struck me as strange was it seemed to be people from outside cities who saw crime as a more serious problem than people who live in cities. Now, to me, that has to be a perception over reality issue. Well, you see, I I, I again disagree. A vast proportion of cities, right, we don't see crime at all. Like Leafy Fox Rock or Dunleary or whatever. I see crime... Literally yeah, but you've just day. said you've just said you walked to Dublin's North City. It's an in, I have to tell you, there's a huge difference between the people who live uh, and wander around your route home than walk around my route okay, home. Okay, but I'm okay. But y- y- and that's why, if, if whether if, it's, you're, if you're talking about Fox Rock or Ranla, uh, perhaps, yeah. but walk around Temple Bar. But walk, that's walk my around point, Grafton yeah. Street. You will see. You will see, and at, at the very least, and walk down Westmoreland Street. But there's you a will high see antisocial behaviour. Yes. You will see illegal. You will see drug dealing. But you see drug dealing on O'Connell Street. I have walked down O'Connell Street. You know, since I went to the pictures in the ambassador. But it's the main thoroughfare of the of I, the. It's I'm the main thoroughfare of the country. Saying, I'm merely saying I haven't walked down there, and I bet you there's a ton of people haven't walked. I, down I wouldn't. There. I I don't think that's the case, George. I think most people who live in Dublin. And many people who don't live in Dublin have walked down O'Connell Street. I, I, like, I, 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 this may seem a strange remark. Sean O'Casey's great play where there's the woman from Ranla, right? She is completely unaware that there's a revolution going on. Yeah. Like for Ranla in 1916, read Fox Rock. I think if the GPO were going up in flames, nobody in Fox Rock would well, know about well, it. Maybe. I know there's better communication. Don't get me wrong. But I think people in certain areas of cities live in a bubble. Yeah, perhaps. Okay. I, I, I slightly disagree with John on, on the idea of having Gardaí on, on the streets. I think it has to have uh, an impact and I think it's very important that it happens in big cities and in big towns that there is a presence there. I think a presence, I think it is a deterrent if you have... Uh, I think there's a world of difference between having somebody on the main street of O'Connell oh, Street and having somebody in a remote guard John station. John Mooney just agreed that the guards are to justice or the HSE is to health. Right, so what? If this was any kind of commercial activity, instead of what it is, sack him. 
And what's so difficult about policing? I mean, the one thing about policing is oh, it's a every, very difficult job. John. Every country in the world has police forces. Yeah, and not too many of them do it well. I mean, we are whatever criticisms I make of the Gardaí, we are still blessed, relatively speaking, with the force we have relative to, to other countries. Stop complaining, then. No, but we can. No, but hang on. You can say. You can you can say our guardy our police force is better than the vast majority of countries, but you can still want it to be better, and you can still be concerned about declining standards, about the cultural issues that are there in the guardy. I think you can continue to strive for excellence, George. Can yeah. So, get better people in charge. Get better people in charge. I think there needs to be a change in culture, and I think but that's, that's, that's how you change. That's not culture. just management, though, as well. I think individual guardy, the good guardy, and there are many of them out there, also need to take responsibility for that uh, as well. And I think All that right. is a factor. Okay, who was there before Jack Charlton? Before Jack Charlton, own hand, right? Desperately Ch- unlucky, right? Oh, I see. Desperately unlucky. Desperately unlucky. Jack Charlton changed the culture, changed everything, and success followed. Uh, and got a good bit of luck. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Shane Coleman, News Talks political editor. Now, we're celebrating this week European MedTech Week because that's supported by the Irish Medical Devices Association. The prize goes through on Monday until Friday. You can win a fit. Bit surge, the ultimate fitness superwatch. Tell you everything about your health and activity. Here's the question: uh, It's Bloomsday today, but which of James Joyce's novels does the Day of Celebrations mark? Does it mark A. Finnegan's Wake or B. Ulysses? Text MedTech M E D T E C H together with your name and answer A or B. To five three one or six, I'll have a winner for you um, before seven. And I M D A will give you all the information you need. We're off to Leeds, of course, where the appalling atrocity against the Labour MP took place. She has since died. I'm joined by Tom Dumbach, reporter with Leeds Radio News uh, in Yorkshire. Tom, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. You know, as you just said, I've just come out of a of a police conference. We've heard that Joe Cox has died after being shot uh, multiple times, actually, outside a library near her constituency, her hometown, actually, of uh, of Bristol uh, in the area. You know, I've just been down at the scene this, uh, in the last few hours, um, and you know, it's actually returned to a sense of calm after when I first arrived. It was a uh, rush hour sort of time of the uh, parents going home or trying to get to the school to pick up their children. Uh, you know, at that point, there was a real uh, sense of panic. Now. One of the things, when we talked about Orlando, um, we, we there was legitimate criticism of America and gun control. But in the case of Britain, guns are actually very hard to get. So who was this person? Yeah, that's a very good question. And that's what I've been asking a lot of the people who are in the area. Um, and most of them don't actually know who they are. They've got various descriptions uh, as, as to who it is. Police are saying, uh, you know, that it was a lone attack, an isolated attack. Uh, but as to who did it, they're not 100% sure. There's various rumours as to, as to what type of gun was used. Uh, with one uh, eyewitness telling me that it was some form of a handgun, a, a, some form of shotgun. Uh, but as to uh, the specifics of uh, the weapon used, uh, he couldn't actually see from those kind of details. Uh, but, you know, going back to, to who did this, uh, like I said, the, the police are continuing their investigation. We know a 52-year-old man, has been arrested, but uh, further details about him uh, are not yet known. Can you clear up whether he said Britain first, Britain first, Britain first or not? 
We know that's uh, something again, which uh, we, we're trying to find out. But at, at this point, that that can't be confirmed. Uh, was that some eyewitnesses said, uh, you know, that, that shouts were made, uh, but as to the specifics of, of what was said uh, in those calls, uh, again, we, we don't know those details. But I imagine they'll emerge uh, over the next few hours as the police continue their investigation. Now, um, fellow Labour MP Mike Gapes has said that uh, Joe Cox, the dead Labour MP, she, she'd she been passionately helping refugees in Syria. Now, one thing we know about the Leeds-Bradford area, uh, this is a very culturally diverse area. Um, it's very early to say, but have there been issues, racial issues or tensions in Leeds? It's interesting you say that. I was speaking uh, to one eyewitness who was talking about the town and the area uh, and he was saying, you know, it's a very diverse population, but it's a very uh, humble town. You know, a lot of love in the area and actually one thing that did come out of this is that Joe Cox is a very popular MP in the area. She's very well loved uh, by various members of the community. So sort of going down that route, I guess it's too soon to say as to the details, but we do know that she had a, been holding a, a constituency talk in the library, which she holds regularly, um, and you know, we know that she's coming out of the library at that point, but it, yeah, it's a very well uh, diverse community, uh, and one eyewitness is saying, like I said, that she's a very well-loved MP in the area with a lot of support for her. All right, thank you so much. That's Tom uh, Dembach. He's a reporter with Radio Air News in Leeds. Shane Coleman's still with me. Uh, Shane, how do you uh, how do you react to that? Well, it's just hugely shocking, George. It is hugely shocking, and um, it raises it does raise questions about. I, I'm, and I'm just thinking because I, I don't know about the circumstance of this I'm, I'm fascinated to hear these, these reports that this person shouted Britain first Britain first but to me in my mind it raises questions about politicians here and they are so accessible to the public and we, we saw in Sweden for example when you had two high profile um, politicians murdered over the last 30 years that the Prime Minister at the time back in the mid 80s I think it was Olaf Palm and then 10 years ago or about a decade ago uh, Anna Lind uh, who, who was stabbed death um, and it it changed the culture uh, definitely in Sweden and that kind of easy accessibility that politicians but, but have But what we are having uh, John says it's people like me and Michael Graham who are part of the problem that we ferment this kind of thinking whether we do or whether we don't and, and I, I, I understand where you're coming from John there is a point now of course that because we have culture clashes forget whether we're talking about migration or other Culture, all this thing about cultural diversity as a theory, if it all works, of course, it's a great idea. Mm. But if it doesn't work, and, and Leeds Bradford has been an area which has had cultural differences for years. It's yeah. where Packy, it's where Packy bashing started. Yeah, it, it 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 is it is a it is a, a huge. It certainly makes things a lot more complicated. But this, regardless of what your political views are, yeah. to do what this person did in in the street in broad daylight is right. is horrific. The right hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander seven seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie my next guest was uh, a member of a group of uh, TDs 
on the plinth of Leinster House little more than half an hour ago. Um, they have a private member's motion on bin charges. My guest is uh, Deputy Breed Smith, People Before Profit TD for Dublin South Central. Deputy Smith, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, George. What's happening? Oh, God, what's happening? Um, well, I, I think people may, by this stage, most households will be aware that the bin companies, uh, in particular Thorntons and Greyhound, have increased their standing charge on the collection of bins by 100 and 200%. Um, and this is absolutely unacceptable. It's outrageous. People are very, very annoyed about it. And some people are quite distressed about it, particularly people who really rely on the bin service because they have uh, a dis- disabled member of the family and use nappies. Yeah, I, I mean, sorry, Deputy Smith. I mean, I mean, I'm not for a second saying uh, that some people don't have particular issues, but I, I mean, I am with you, and and I just want you to uh, to tell me how can you have a situation. Where the now I'm, I'm, I may well disagree with you about the issue of bin charges, but nobody I, I didn't know about this. Like I didn't get a letter in the post telling me this, so presumably that's on its way to me. How what company can are they, you with George? Huh? What company are you with? <laughs> you don't know. I do. I the lovely Ingrid looks after waste in our house. But yes, actually, well, it, it depends on what company. It's you're Greyhound. With. It's yeah. Greyhound. Greyhound, have, Greyhound are writing out to all their clients, either by email or physical letter. And what they're doing is they're increasing the standing charge, which is a basic service charge that you pay regardless of whether you ever put out a bin or yes, not. Once you understand. sign up, you pay the standing charge. And it's been increased by 200% in the case of Greyhound. 200%? 200%. Okay, it can't be 200 200%. It's going from around €49 Euro to over €150 Euro a year. And they're also, at the same time, according to a statutory instrument that was signed off on a few weeks ago, we brought this up on the door. The statutory instrument was introduced in what they call a pay-by-weight system. Um, and the pay-by-weight system was to apply to all three bins that people should have, which is the black bin for sure. uh, refuse, normal refuse, the, the brown bin for food recycling, and the green bin for plastic cans, bottles, etc., paper. Um, and the, there was a charge on the green bin, and we brought this up and fought against Simon Coveney, and he withdrew it from the statutory instrument before he signed it. What we're now doing is we have our first private member's time next Tuesday and we have just submitted a motion calling on the minister to meet the bin companies to, in the first instance and to ensure that they don't proceed with this um, massive and outrageous well, increase. Sorry. And then yeah. to take company to prevent them, but also, and this is very important, that to ensure that in the future the standing charges cannot be increased out of line with the consumer price index. Okay. But in other for, words, in yes, line with inflation. No, of course. Um, but the first thing is, does the minister have power here? Can the minister uh, actually, Simon Coveney, can he actually say to Greyhound and Thornton he can't do this? Or is he actually uh, hands up in the air and saying, this is capitalism, can't do anything about it? Well, no, he's, even Simon Coveney is not going as far as saying as this is capitalism, I can't do anything about it. What he is doing is saying this is capitalism and I'm going to gently talk to the managers of these companies and bring them in here and tell them that this is not on. What we're saying is that this is capitalism, we have to do a little bit more than that, and that is to sign it into a statutory instrument that they cannot, it would be illegal for them uh, in the future to increase the standing charge beyond the rate of inflation. 
And that's what but, our, but they uh, must surely. I mean, I don't know any other service where uh, my bill is increased by two hundred percent. Like Sky haven't increased my bill for my telly for two hundred percent, or well, your car electric current or ESB or whatever. Yeah, your car insurance would have gone up recently by thirty-five to forty percent. Yeah, but that's because there are accidents, you know. Like, I mean, they can. Uh, well, but, I but mean, no, no. Let's stay on bins, like yeah, you sure, know. But I'm just saying, the I I agree with you. The, it's an unbelievable increase. But this is what they're doing, and they're writing out to households and claiming that they're now uh, bringing in the pay-by-weight system. And I've seen the letters, and I've sent them all off to the Taoiseach because he requested the letters, because people are firing them into me either by email or physical copies. They have it in bold and big letters. We are not charging for the green bill. Well, what happens now? Because I'm getting incensed now. God above, I'm now green. Well, I'm green. glad you're angry too, because <laughs> the rest of us are all raging. Yeah, yeah, I'm a breed. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, as David, as, as uh, uh, Deputy Boyd Barrett knows well, like I'm not his best pal politically. But I mean, I am now outraged to the point that if these guys turned up tomorrow looking for 150 quid, I'd tell them take a hike. Well, you see, somebody does have to do something about it because if they uh, get away with this hike, there will be an increase in illegal dumping. And who will pick up the pieces for that? The public service will pick up the pieces and the private profiteers will be you know, doing what they want, Lana Wallia. So absolutely intervention needs to be made here, not just to stop them increasing it uh, at, at 100 and 200% this time around, but to ensure that in future... They don't increase it beyond the rate okay, of inflation, but, uh, as I've said. I, I, I appreciate that you're a Dublin-based TD, but people um, in in other areas are coming oh, this on. This has happened in other areas. I've had emails from Athlone. Kildare. From Kildare. Limerick. Yeah, Kildare. Four, it can't be €400 Euro a year for bin collection in Limerick. I'm telling sure. you now, I'm telling you now, it is creeping up all over the place. The waste management industry, I said it in the die last week, is loaded with uh, Tony Soprano-type characters who don't give a damn and they just want to make more and more money. And they really don't have a social conscience about it. And this is why there has to be strong regulation in the form of a statutory instrument on their attempt to maximise their profits. Our statutory instrument proposal is that they, they're not allowed to increase the standing charge, but furthermore, the rate at which they're allowed charge for weight is capped at what it stands at at the moment. Um, and if they want to appeal for another statutory instrument in a year or two's time or make a case, to the, then they come to the government what, and say, we what, need to increase. I'm not very familiar with this because I'm one of these people who pays up, right? Yeah. What happens now because I'm incensed and I join you on the picket line? Well, great. Will you come down to the <laughs> no, door next, no, no. next Tuesday at 7 o'clock? Because we're calling for everybody to come to the yeah, door Deputy next Smith, Tuesday at 7 o'clock before protect. the debate so we All can right, have but a hold protest. Hold away. What happens if... Uh, because Ingrid pays for it. What happens if the lovely Ingrid cancels her standing order or whatever? What happens next then? They just don't collect, is it? Yes, the lovely Ingrid will have to go off and find an alternative way of getting rid of her refuse. And, you know, people say... Well, well not far from where we live, like there's Ballyogan or whatever. Yeah, you could easily go up to Ballyogan, exactly. So um, I just drive up to Ballyogan with the black bags and throw them in? Surely well, not. Well, you know, you could I can't go up to Ballyogan, but you, 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 you're probably not going to do it. Uh, you can probably afford this increase, but there are plenty of people out there. I know, really back can't. up the truck here, Deputy. <laughs> I mean, back up the truck. I have three... Okay, okay. I, I'm not I, trying no, to insult you. I'm just no, saying... No, but that. I have, I have yeah. three children uh, sure. who yeah. have children who are married, who have mortgages, yeah. who are yeah. who are fighting a battle like, and, you know. And, it's and not every, just, every a, it's not just about this. me. 
no, no, I know this. And I'm only joking you, George. But what I'm saying to you is that, you know, they say that competition um, is good and that people have choices. Actually, you don't. When it comes to a bin service, there are one or two companies that dominate the areas. And the reason for that is if I want to go from, let's say, Taunton to Mr. X bin man, Mr. X is not going to be interested in my business if he has to come all the way up to Ballyfermot and down the Kylemore Road and into the estate to collect one bin. He will do it if he has 20 or 30 people interested in the same uh, company, but he'll not do it for one or two because it's inefficient and uncompetitive. You see, the other thing, of course, where you're talking about uh, uh, 150 or whatever, that's only the standing charge because exactly. now, and of then course, you've a charge. By weight. Yeah, and we have letters from people who have disabled family members. Uh, uh, Deputy Jean O'Kenny, who I think will be speaking on your show later, is, or on, on your program, the station later, has a letter from a family in Lucan who have a disabled daughter and their weight, the pay-by-weight, will crucify them economically because of... But uh, isn't, isn't there... Isn't there, we were told, like, aren't there waivers? Can't you get a waiver because of particular circumstances? No, the de- Department of Social Protection done away with the waivers. Look, this all stems back to uh, uh, an implement introduced by Fianna Fáil in 1999 when they brought in a waste management legislation that would allow for bin charges to be collected by the local authorities. And then once the local authorities were able to make money out of bin charges, they were forced by uh, competition laws for other companies to be able to compete for that service, which led to privatisation. And in fact, it's interesting, the last local authority to be privatised in the country was Dublin City Council, the last local bin service to be privatised. And that was because of the boycott of the charges and the big campaign against them. But this is the inevitable and uh, ugly fruits of privatisation of an essential service. And we are reaping the benefits of the the neoliberal okay. agenda that was set by Fianna Fáil going back in time. All right. Breed Smith, Deputy Breed Smith, thank you so much. 280 year in Wexford, 220 year uh, in Mayo. All these texts flying in. 250 in Kilkenny. Um, actually, Dublin seems to be doing well listening to these people. Uh, this text says, and this is incorrect and not factual, George, you are a rich, fat pig, so your opinion on charges is invalid says Robert. Robert you're wrong I'm okay with rich I'm okay with pig but having lost two stone in the last year and a half fat is absolutely not factual The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7 seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips MitsubishiMotors.ie Well, we'll be in London next week for the referendum on uh, Brexit. And, of course, it would uh, make an extraordinary difference to Ireland and its place in the EU. But there is another model which uh, we might choose, which is the Norwegian one, because, of course, they are not part of the EU, but naturally have a trading and political relationship with it. I'm joined now by Professor William Lafferty, of the Department of Physical Science in Oslo in Norway. William, welcome to the programme. Thank you, George. Good to talk to you. Professor Laverty, explain the Norwegian relationship with the EU. Well, the the basic situation is that the Norwegian model, as it's been referred to, is, is really quite unique. I mean, Norway negotiated a 
situation with the European Union after two referendums which said no to being a member of the European Union. And those negotiations were based on the structure that was in place with the European Free Trade Agreement. And that has evolved into a very special kind of uh, contract between the European Union and Norway and also along with Norway, believe it or not, Iceland and Liechtenstein. So anyone, anybody who wants to be a member of, of this particular club has to be very clear over what the conditions are. Uh, we negotiate on an ongoing basis to implement all um, European Union uh, regulations and directives. Uh, and Norway at present is probably the best kid in the class of the European Union when it comes to implementing European legislation. But Norway does have a, a pretty important advantage, does it not? The issue of oil and gas, no, which has made an enormous difference to the Norwegian economy. Well, that's been a background factor, of course, which has enabled Norway to um, manage this, this special kind of agreement with the European Union in, in the way it has done. Um, but the bottom line here is that the an, an exit of, of Britain from the European Union will not have the opportunity to involve in the kind of agreement that Norway has. Uh, and that has been stated very forthrightly by, by the heads of the European Union, because that, that was a particular historical situation. So, yes, Norway has gas and oil, and we also, of course, if, if that is the major point, we have our residual sovereignty to the point where we can, in theory, say no to certain directives, and certain, we have almost not done so at all, but the problem, the possibility is there. But uh, one of the things for the Irish that we're worried about is for best part of a century, we've had easy access to the United Kingdom because 100 miles up the road from my studio, there used to be a border in which there was all sorts of mayhem if you were driving up for a rugby game or whatever. Now you, just, now you don't even know you've crossed the border uh, <laughs> until you see the different road signs. So we're assuming, and just yesterday, the Taoiseach and again, he said there will be a hard border between Northern Ireland and us. So what's it like for a Norwegian who wants to go to Sweden, your near neighbour, where, where presumably for centuries you've been hopping across backwards and forwards? Well, there's absolutely no... Uh the only, the only place where the border has come into play at all recently has been in connection with the, uh, the in-migrant uh, and asylum-seeking uh, crisis in Europe. That has caused uh, some uh, discussion back and forth between Norway and, and Russia, uh, which is a very uh, a much more touchy border than the situation with Sweden. Actually, actually, even though Sweden and Denmark are members of the European Union, the interaction between the Scandinavian uh, Nordic countries has become much stronger um, since the European Union evolved. No one can quite say why that's the case, but that's just what happens. It could be that that's because one wants a kind of a, a cultural identity um, to, to uh, you know, oppose the standardization of the European Union.
Now, my guest is Professor William Laverty of the uh, School of Political Science in Oslo in Norway, because Norway is not part of the European Union, but it seems to have uh, to be operating fine and dandy with the agreement it has. An agreement which Professor Laverty says the British aren't going to get if they have a Brexit. But, Professor Laverty, there is an important thing here, and I appreciate you're a professor of political science rather than necessarily economics, but... One of the concerns a lot of people in Ireland have had, and Britain are different because they've got their own currency, is that losing your currency and therefore your ability to set your own interest rates and exchange rate has been a major problem for countries like Ireland. Yes, well, I mean that is uh, that's a major. I think it's a, it's a problem. You know, every every uh, country, a member of the European Union or not, is being diversely affected by the different uh, swings in the global economic situation. Uh, Norway, for a long time, had probably one of the strongest currencies in the world. Um, more recently, because of the decline in the oil price, that uh, exchange rate has has gone down. Um, interestingly enough, George, just yesterday, the Norwegian parliament invoked a very special rule which has to be applied if you are going to make a significant transfer of sovereignty from, from Norway to another organ. It's only been used about two or three times. It requires a three-quarters um, majority in the parliament. It was used yesterday so that Norway could join the bank uh, over uh, surveillance unit of, of the European Union to standardize the control of banks. So, again, Norway does not, you know, there are no virtually no lessons in the current situation for the, Bre- for the Brexit uh, problem. And one thing that's, you know, I've wondered about, I don't know how this is in Ireland, George, but there seems to be no discussion at all of the implications of the deal that Cameron has cut with the European Union. It seems to be either or. And my reading of it, of it is, is that the deal that, that Cameron has cut is very similar to what Norway already has with the European Union. Well, you're absolutely right, Bill, because it, it, it has been utterly lost in translation that Britain has a new deal. I think Cameron thought that when he cut that deal, that was going to be his ace in the hole when it came to the referendum. Because I don't think he ever seriously thought, given that the major opposition party, the Labour Party, was going to support him in the referendum. I mean, it looked a certainty. But interesting you talked earlier on just about the, the, the migration crisis. The migration crisis, most people now believe, is the biggest single reason uh, for people voting to leave. That not just illegal migration or migration from the teeming millions in Greece and Italy and so on, but rather the fact that the, the, the millions of 26 other countries can freely come to Great Britain. And this is the worry for the British people. You don't have that. No, I mean, I would say we have actually the, the, the opposite in a sense, George. Although Norway, to, to be perfectly frank, Norway takes more in migrants per capita than just about any other country in Europe. Uh, so that, that's a fact in itself. But the inflow of migrants to Norway during this crisis 
has most recently gone drastically down because of the different safeguards that the European uh, Union has enforced at the borders of Greece and and uh, and, and and Turkey. So, in in that sense, you know, without that, if if we were left without the bars that have been placed on, on, on migrants getting up to Norway from the south, the situation in Norway would be much more critical than it is. And consequently, you might have a different uh, political reaction, as so many countries in Europe have, in terms of the, right, the rise of right-wing parties. Yes, exactly. But, you, you know, we, we, we can't forget, George, that the, the situation, the popular opinion in Norway today on becoming a member of the European Union is more negative than it ever has been. So regardless of the fact that we're, this, that we're one of the cleverest kids in the class in implementing European legislation, the populace is still adamantly against a full membership in the European Union. I, I have to ask you the obvious question. I know. Like, why, given you're the best in class... Um, why are you adamantly against it? Is this a kind of a an innate Norwegian independence or what? Yes, I think, but I think it's something that you can relate to uh, also uh, from 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 the Irish situation too. I mean, you know, we are in we are living through a time where uh, the ele- two two major elements of the rise of national democracy in the West are under threat. The one is sovereignty itself, which is constantly being, uh, you know, watered down and drawn out. Uh, and the other is the sense of community. Um, democracy is dependent on a feeling of community among the people who are going to make democracy work. And if, com- if, if the sense of community and identity within a state is radically weakened, that automatically radically weakens the quality of democratic governance. And that's where we're at now. And I, my feeling is that the whole Brexit discussion is more a symbolic uh, situation as to where are national states going now. And the fact that the European Union, unfortunately, has become woefully uh, negligent on, on the front of developing democratic uh, steering uh, organizations. All right, uh, we'll uh, we'll find out next Friday. Of course, we the right hook will be in London for that vote. My guest, Professor William Laverty of the School of Political Science in Oslo and in Norway. Um, William Laverty, thanks so much for joining me. Pleasure talking to you, George.